And welcome back to part two of our podcast here on Come and See Inspirations for the 12th of February. Now, this morning, one of the things myself and John are going to talk about uh, is one of the things that's not really covered very well in terms of things happening around the world is the persecution of Christians in different parts of the planet. Uh, There is a bit of a blockage, a bit of a blind spot when it comes to Western media in terms of understanding that the the persecution of Christians in different parts of the world. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to zone in on one particular country and discuss, or not discuss, but go through some of the things that are happening there. And that is the country of Nigeria. There are just over uh, 100 million Christians in Nigeria, which is almost half of the country's 216 million population. And one of the things I suppose that we we need to think about from an Irish or from a Western point of view is people sometimes refer to the church in Africa as being the future of Africa or the future Mm -hmm. of the church. It's not. It's the present, which was an article actually that that, uh, John Allen wrote in Crooks, the online Catholic news portal about maybe two, three weeks ago. And in an Irish context, that was carried actually in the Irish Catholic newspaper. And the issue in Nigeria is that the persecution facing Christians in Nigeria is extreme and often brutally violent. And it's coming from Islamic militants and armed bandits attacking with increasing impunity. Um, It mostly affects Christians living in the Muslim majority north, north and the Middle Belt, but it's also spreading. And one of the problems or one of the challenges with Nigeria, of course, is a vast country of its size with many ethnic different groups and religious uh, many et- religious uh, divisions, if you like, mm. or, or numbers of groups of religious. And one of the problems, of course, is that the divisions are also kind of from the religious divisions are also sometimes on ethnic and also brought into political lines. Yes. So when conflict happens, it's quite destabilizing at times. Um, All civilians are subject to threats and violence, but Christians are often specifically targeted because of their faith. Now, we would have, many people would have heard of Boko Harim um, in, in, in Nigeria, which is one of those culprits responsible. And also the Islamic State West Africa uh, province, which who on their kind of espoused belief is that they want to eliminate the presence of Christians in Nigeria. And the challenging thing about it is that more Christians are killed for their faith in Nigeria than the rest of the world combined. And in particular, they're targeting young men and boys with the aim of destroying livelihoods and stifling population, the Christian population growth. Um, and the, you know the women in particular are frequently targeted for abduction, sexual assault, forced marriage. Uh, we saw that a couple of years ago. In particular, if people might remember the girls that were taken from the school by Boko Harim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so that's still happening. And um, the thing, and part of the challenge is that in the northern states in Nigeria, they operate under Sharia law because they're majority Muslim. So Christians can often be treated as second-class citizens. Um, but uh, so it's one it's one of the things that that are challenging there, you know, um, and it's moving up the place on the world watch list in terms of the risks that are there for um, for Christians. <clears throat> so I suppose to give a couple of examples, I suppose um, before Christmas in December the 19th, there was uh, an attack, a terror attack in Nigeria, and it was basically, and there was 40 people killed. 
uh, in northern Nigerian state of Kaduna, where several villages have been attacked in December and um, suspected terrorists are from a particular tribe in northern Nigeria. There was an interdenominational memorial service held on December 22nd for the 40 people that died. And it was, I suppose it was a bit sad because it was, they they were burying 40 victims killed in the attack. Um, 33 men and boys, 7 women and girls of several Christian traditions, 22 Catholics, 16 Evangelicals and 2 Baptists. The youngest victim of the terror attack was 2 years old. The oldest was 65. And among the dead were six members of the one family, father, mother and four children. And it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit distressing, actually, when you see the photographs. Um, Literally, there is a pickup truck and they are loading, stacking like you would stacks Mm, of timber, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the coffins in the back of the truck to be taken to the graveyard after the funeral service. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's frightening. You know, the attacks are, are, are very much aimed at the basics and the, those most vulnerable in society. But it's interesting, you know, as well, that the 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 church is stepping up in terms of that. Um, they're calling out the government because many Nigerians are sceptical of government leaders are working to stop the ongoing attacks, the terrorist attacks in Nigeria. Um, and, uh, you know, there was one, Father Bala was the man that said the, the prayers at this particular funeral service. And he said a lot of citizens feel the government is not doing enough to protect them. Hence, many are losing hope in the government. Mm-hmm. The people are disappointed that the attacks have been carried out over the years and none of the attackers have been arrested. Um, you know, and this is the, it's this impunity, I think, that's, you know, causing uh, unrest and causing concern uh, and where exactly it's all going to to end up and where it's going to finish. Um, I suppose one of the one of the and one of the, some of the alarming things about it is that, you know, that the 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 the, the weapons that are being utilized um, are sometimes military grade weapons. So you've got to mm. ask where the where they're yeah. getting access to things like that. But Nigeria, of course, is in part of the Sahal region. It's quite a um, vulnerable area, particularly to Islamic extremism, uh, all along like Mali, Chad, around Lake Chad, and uh, Niger. All of these type parts of the world, very unsettled, very fragile, suffering as well from massive encroachments of the desert due to climate change, which in Din is also feeding into social and ethnic conflict because you have conflict between pastoralists and farmers and settled yeah. communities. So mm. it's a very difficult part of the world as well. And then you, on top of that is the religious um, element of it as well. But it's it's also uh, there was another attack then in uh, in January, <clears throat> January the I'm just going to date here now a second. Excuse me a second. Uh, January the fifteenth, around January the fifteenth, and there was a Nigerian priest actually killed uh, in that attack. He was shot dead um, before the terrorists set fire to the rectory and where his body was left inside. Unfortunately, um, the body was burnt beyond recognition. It's Father Isaac Achi is his name. And uh, he was killed shortly after 3 a.m. on January the 15th when armed bandits invaded the parish resident of St. Peter's and Paul Catholic Church in Kafam Koro, which is a forested area in central Nigeria, or uh, central uh, Nigerian state of Niger. 
And uh, the second, there was a, there was another priest there with him, a parish parochial vicar called Father Collins Ome, and he was shot several times as he tried to escape the scene, and he's was was it was hospitalized. Um, they were like they came in shouting, uh, firing, fighting in the air, and shouting Allah Akbar. Um, and it was it was you know it was they had huge you know, risk post to the two of them. The two priests, when they were both taken from their rooms at gunpoint, um, they uh, began praying together and offered one another the sacrament of confession. And then um, Father Ome said that his pastor urged him to escape, uh, to run from the compound. And while this was happening, Father Achi was shot in the chest by the terrorists. Um the problem, of course, is part of the challenge is that it's it's um, it took the police quite a period of time to to arrive, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the challenge. But it's a huge country as well at the same time, and resources are poor. But it does raise questions about whether or not there is a degree of collusion going on. Um, Father Omi told fellow priests from the Diocese of Minna that it took the police hours to arrive after they were called, um, which would seem to be consistent with claims from Christian leaders in central Nigeria that police are slow to respond to reports of violence. Um, Now, the sad thing about it is that the man that died, Father Ache, survived a terrorist attack at another Nigerian parish 10 years ago. He was the pastor in 2021 at St. Teresa's Church in Madala, a suburb of Abuja's capital. And during a Christmas Day mass, 25 parishioners were killed when Boko Harim rammed a car parked with explosives into the parish property. And after that, Father Achi had urged forgiveness. In his homily, he said that Christians have to learn to forgive all those who deliberately hurt them. He urged Christians to remain pray- prayerful, stressing that the power of prayer and love can overcome all situations. Those who perpetrate evil against the state and innocent citizens require prayers from the Christian faithful. Um, he was abducted in 2013. This man is really unfortunate. Um, so this was the third time and third time I suppose was unlucky for him in that he eventually gave his life um, at the same t- on the same day that he was killed which is on the 15th of January just gone 25 worshippers were kidnapped from Protestant service in northwestern Nigeria um, when their prayers were reportedly interrupted by a gang of men riding motorcycles and then on the uh, January the 14th the Diocese of Akiti announced that another priest had been abducted as he was returning to his parish from a pastoral visit. Um, so it's it's not exactly a, a safe part of the world, I suppose. In 2018, um, two Catholic priests, Father Joseph Gore and Felix Tayola, were among 17 others who were killed by suspected Faluni herdsmen. In March 2019, another priest was kidnapped and he remains missing, Father John Bako Shakuolo. In May 2021, Father Alphonsus Bello was killed in a midnight attack on the parish in Sokoto Diocese and Father Joseph Kiki was abducted. In June 2002, Father Vitus Borogo, the Kaduna Archdiocese, was killed during a terrorist raid on the farm he was visiting. And uh, in July 2002, Father John Mark Chitnum was killed by kidnappers after he was abducted. Where And during that, Father Donatus Cleophus escaped from the same abduction. Um so it's 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 you know Mina Diocese they have had a number of of priests and, who have been killed and kidnapped over the last number of years, <clears throat> and the Catholic Bishops Conference of Nigeria has is decrying I suppose the level of insecurity in the country, and is challenging the president Buhari President Buhari to kind of you know support the people on the ground, 
The bishops lamented that our church personnel have been frequent victims in terms of kidnapping or outright murder. Um, and they, 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 the, the conference president urged the, pre, the, the bishop, Lucius Iwujuro, the conference president urged pre, President Bahari to make sure that our nation is effectively rid of these murderous criminals. So it's 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 a very difficult place, and I suppose Nigeria is just is just one example of of um, of persecution that's happening around the world. Other countries that you could mention in this regard would be China, <clears throat> and at the moment, of course, we were seeing the case that was there against Cardinal Zen for his support of the mm-hmm. democracy uh, protesters in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And the interference of the Communist Party in the operation and the appointment of bishops in mainland China. Um, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, wouldn't exactly be a great place to be a Christian at the moment, particularly if you're actually Saudi Arabian. Mm -hmm. Um, Afghanistan, obviously, is another one. Uh, Then in terms of Congo, so Democratic Republic of Congo, Pope Francis was there last week on a pastoral visit. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the last decade, I think the number is something like four million people have been killed in a forgotten war. And many of them are Christian. Um, so you've Congo, uh, Car is another volatile part of the world. And then as well as that, um, there, there's also persecution of the church in parts of South and Central America. Now, I'm not going to go into the detail of it here, but mm. Nicaragua is one in particular that needs to be uh, monitored, I suppose. And what we have there is the president, Ortega, who is a Sandinista. So the Sandinistas came to power, I think, in the early 70s yep. when they overthrew a previous dictatorship. And um, they were uh, right, uh, left-wing slash communist slash Marxist kind of an outfit. Um, when they took power, actually, there was three well-known priests who were involved with that government. And people might remember that famous picture of John Paul II arriving in Nicaragua and the priest on his knee and Pope Fran- John Paul II wagging his figure, finger yeah, at him yeah. and telling him to get himself sorted Ooh. out. Um, and they were very much involved with the uh, liberation theology movement in that part of the world as well. Um, but Ortega came back to power and has since then has been attacking the bishops because the the I suppose the the basically it was their calling him out is the easiest way to do it. He tried to silence criticism of several bishops um, by calling them to pray instead of commenting on politics. The bishops responded that it's not enough to pray if one if one doesn't work for justice. So the current situation at the moment is actually that there is one priest, there was one bishop under house arrest. Um, So they they ordered the dissolution of 100 NGOs, the expulsion of the missionaries of charity, that would be the order of of, uh, Mother Teresa, the closure of several Catholic media outlets, including radios. And then they put the bishop of Matagalapa, Ronaldo Alvarez, one of its strongest critics, under house arrest. And since August the 4th, he hasn't been under house arrest at the Chantry, along with five priests, two seminarians and three lay people. And they they have threatened to imprison him. And uh, you'd be kind of wondering on what on what particular grounds uh, there isn't, you know. Now, he has been charged with conspiracy against the Nicaraguan state and is set to face trial in January or February. Um, but they have already, by the way, this is a government which has kicked out the papal nuncio. Um, Lovely, yeah. You know, so there's no, so unfortunately, um, what you call it, um, 12 priests, two seminarians who worked with bishop, with the bishop have been charged and imprisoned, charged with conspiracy. Uh, eight 
Nicaraguan priests have gone into exile or say they're not allowed to return to the country, um, although the number could be as high as 53. Um, so it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult part of the world. And it's also, you know, it, for those of us that I suppose grew up, you know, in the late 80s, like we would have heard the stories of this um, uh, in terms of Oscar Romero and yeah. what was going Ooh. on in El Salvador. And it's like it hasn't gone away, you know, um, that this part of the world is still very unstable in many re- respects. And the issue, the issue, I suppose, is that um, I suppose the challenge of how to respond, because I suppose the, the, the problem is there's, there's been a degree of silence in terms yeah. of the bishop's conference. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're seeing echoes of what happened in El Salvador with, with Romero as well. But also because the, 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 the nuncio has been exclu- expelled from the country as well, the Vatican is being very coy about the um, what it's saying because it wants to keep open the diplomatic channels. And you'd be kind of saying, well, what's the point of keeping open the diplomatic channels when they've kicked your chief diplomat out of the country? Yeah. You know, so, and Pope Francis has been very coy in terms of what he's been saying in relation to what's going on in Nicaragua as well, which unfortunately is also the same in terms of what's been happening to Cardinal Zen. Um, we've, 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 it's, and it's amazing in this regard, actually, how history repeats itself. Because this was the same type of approach that was taken in the 1960s and the 1970s under Paul VI when they were trying to have some sort of conversations with communist Soviet Russia and it wasn't really working. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and and as at that time, the men on the ground, the women on the ground were slightly sacrificed, I think it would be fair to say, in, the, in term for the greater good. But it's just, I suppose, John, it was just those two examples, I suppose, just to give people an idea uh, kind of of some of the challenges that are out there in the world. Now, if anyone wants to kind of give some kind of assistance, I suppose you can always find out more by checking out the one of the, one of the websites, I suppose, that we would or one of the organizations that we would suggest is Aid to the Church in Need. Yeah. <clears throat> ACN would be one potentially to look at. And if you want to find out, uh, and it's an interesting one, there was an article in November 22 on The Pillar uh, by Luke Coppen. And he made, you know, he was reporting on Age of the Church of the Knees report, which said that the oppression of persecution of Christians has intensified in 75% of the nations it tracked between 2020 and 2022. Nigeria was top of the list, um, but... Other, there were other ones, and it's a, the report is called Persecuted and Forgotten, a report on Christians oppressed for their faith. And it concluded that escalating violence, often aimed at driving Christians out, meant that the faithful suffered some of the world's most vicious campaigns of intimidation orchestrated by militant non-state actors. Of particular concern in this regard is Africa, where extremism threatens previously strong Christian communities. In Nigeria and other countries, this violence clearly passes the threshold of genocide, it said. The new the study in November was the eighth in their series, and it's just he it it just um, it also kind of picked up on Nigeria was one, the issue of what was happening in in Ethiopia in particular in Tigray, and the northernmost region where there's a civil conflict going on between forces in that part of the world against the government in Addis Ababa. Um, there's the issue of extreme persecu- Christian persecution in northern Korea. And the report that ACN had examined 24 countries where Christians were at high risk. And it said that conditions had worsened for Christians in the world's two most populous countries, China and India. 
It noted that the Chinese authorities had increased pressures on Christians with arrests, the forced closure of churches and new draconian legislation, where India, of course, sees a huge problem with record numbers of attacks on Christians, particularly by Hindu extremisms, extremists, which is of growing concern. Um, you know, and it's in the Middle East, continuing migration deepened the crisis, threatening the survival of three of the world's oldest and most important Christian communities located in Iraq, Syria, and of course in Palestine, the Holy Land. And in Asia in particular, they highlighted Burma, China, Vietnam, and of course North Korea, Afghanistan, concerns about Pakistan, India, and elsewhere. And I suppose part of the problem is the cultural misperception in the West that continues to deny that Christians remain the most widely persecuted faith group. Mm. So it was, you know, that report, it makes sobering reading, I think. And as I said, that's that's aid to the church in need. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for sharing that. That's all they kept on um, going through my mind as you you were, well, two, two, two thoughts as you were sharing that with us. Number one, you you go through the science for the week with us every week, you know, and we're reminded of all those people who died for their faith and suffered for their faith. And you've just said the same thing now. You know, these people in Africa and various parts of the world are suffering for their faith. They're really saints. That's mm. in my book anyway. Mm-hmm. But the second thing that went through my mind is the current synod process that's going on. Mm. You know, people uh, might, be, might want to comment on their own experiences of faith and so on and so forth and what they want and what they want to help them encourage and live out their faith and so on and so forth. And there these, there's these people out in Africa and various parts of South America that you mentioned there who are not allowed and even killed for having the faith. Their, their, their experience, and uh, I'm sure their, their contribution to the Synod would be far different there may be some of us who are living in comfortable suburbia sometimes and want a little bit of more comfort and so on and so forth for a faith. It's just a summit that they can to be made. And just on that one, it's a just it's an interesting one to note that um, the Synod, the global response from the Synod, there's 114 Episcopal conferences around the world and 112 of them responded to the synodal mm, process. Mm. Now, we did as well, obviously, from an Irish mm-hmm. point of view. And we are going to look at the synod in more detail in the month of March, yeah. just so that people know. But um, of the two, there was only two that couldn't do it. I think one of them was was Iraq, I think. And I think maybe Angola was the other one. I'm not 100% sure. But like, it was just, you know, despite this, these, the bishops in these countries do do their best uh, to participate yeah. in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting one. It's it's They are voices that are going to challenge the Western Eurocentrism. Well, and in particular, I think our friends in Germany are going to get a bit of a land uh, in terms of some of the proposals that they're putting forward that their their confreres among the bishops in Africa and South America will they probably would, say nine. They, w- they wouldn't feature. They no. Wouldn't feature. no. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for that. So, John, just to finish out this part of the mu- of the pro- of the podcast, I we're going to play one particular piece of music which I had asked for this morning, and it is "Be Not Afraid" because I think it's very appropriate. And I think the version that I picked, you might be ha- happy enough with, it's sang by Marilyn Ness. So, come back and join us again in part three, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. <laughs>
Be afraid, for I have redeemed.